Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight, Matt Filipovitz, and tonight I am joined by my, what's the best adjective, Bill? Outstanding, terrific, delightful co-host, Bill DeFilippo. Bill, hello, how are you? I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, I'm doing well. Doing well. It's uh, all, all's, all's well here in lovely Col- Lovely Columbus. Yeah, I can call Columbus lovely for now because it's not the week that Penn State plays Ohio State in football. So I'm doing okay. How you doing? I'm doing good. I recently moved. Um, so I'm living like a goblin right now. I'm surrounded by a bunch of just crap on my floor. Uh, and I tried to make dinner tonight and then I finished making it and I didn't know where I put the plates. Uh, so that was a that was Ooh. a fun adventure in figuring that out. But We are not here to talk about my move because there were a lot of moves that happened for Penn State football this past week. With the start of the first summer semester comes a new round of enrollees. We're going to break this out, Bill, into both transfers and then the freshmen who are getting to campus. And they're adding a lot of guys. This May semester, summer one, whatever you want to call it, used to be when really nobody arrived. But in the past, we've seen guys like I think Fryermuth got here for this semester when it was his turn. I think PJ got here for this semester when he came around. And I think there's a lot of value to getting to campus a little bit earlier than this last wave of guys, which will come in come in June too. Yeah, and I'd I'd especially say that's the case for uh transfer guys. I think for if you're a true freshman and you're getting onto a college campus, like there's going to be a bit of a learning curve, but at least you're going to be coming in with a lot of other people who, you know, there's an understanding that you're not going to need to be a contributor right away. We're going to talk about some guys who are coming onto campus and who got onto campus in the last week or so. Uh, And it's guys who played college football elsewhere, who developed college football habits elsewhere, who learned playbooks elsewhere, that kind of thing. And only have a year, two years to contribute to Penn State. So yeah, I think uh, it's much better to be getting on campus now than, you know, you're stepping on campus for the first time in, uh, you know, July or August or whatever it would be. Yeah, so that's actually a great transition, Bill. Let's kind of just start by talking about this group of transfers. They added five of them. To my understanding, four of them are scholarship additions. And we'll break this out into tiers. And I think in tier one, and this isn't in terms of talent, this isn't like projecting down the road, but this is in pure impact to the 2023 season. Dante Cephas is in a category all his own. Yeah, uh, Cephas is a guy who um, we knew that he was going to be coming to Penn State. Uh, do you have offhand when he when he committed to Penn State? It was State? the day Taylor Stubblefield was fired, which I believe was the third week of January. Yeah, so he's a guy that uh, we've known was going to be coming to Penn State for some time. It was all about just finishing up what he had to do at Kent State. And uh guy who comes in with uh, a lot of hype, a lot of excitement around him uh, 24-7 in their transfer rankings, uh, had him as the number 37 transfer in the portal, uh, the highest ranked guy in the uh, – in Penn State's transfer class, I believe. Uh, I'll, I'll double check that in a second. But yeah, it comes from Kent State, had a productive career at Penn Kent State, 145 receptions, 2,139 yards, 12 touchdowns. Big year was in 2021 where he caught 82 balls for 1,240 yards and nine scores. And 
he comes in, Matt, playing a position where Penn State desperately desperately could use a guy who could step in and even if it's only for one year, have some kind of a big impact in the Nittany Lion offense. They they need an experienced pass catcher whose name isn't yeah. Keandre Lambert Smith. I think having Cephas line up outside is going to open up just a ton of things for this offense. Having this kind of talent at wide receiver, and I want to make sure I call this out, you never know who's who on Twitter actually anymore because the the verification system is, has gone to shit. But Chris Smith, who is a scouting assistant for the Senior Bowl, called Cephas a wide receiver he's expecting to break out this upcoming season. So these are people who go out there and they scout these kind of players for their, um, you know, with their odds to make it in the National Football League. And he was called out even before he stepped foot on a Power 5 campus. So the expectations are really high for Cephas. And I don't know if he's going to be wide receiver one. I think in the terms that he's your X receiver, he's the one you line up outside. He's the one who can take the top off the defense. I think that's a role that fits him really well. But I think his bigger value is going to be that he's going to be a gravitational player and hopefully it'll open things up for the tight ends, for Keandre Lambert-Smith, for Harrison Wallace. Like The offense will not go as far as Dante Cephas takes them. But Cephas could be the reason you win a pretty important game if the offense can get running like we think it can. Yeah, I, I I think when you look at Penn State's offense, the big question is who is going to be the guy who's able to get open, who's able to catch passes, who uh, can, can be that favorite target for you know. Pre- well, for Drew Allen, right? We, we'll, we, we'll, we'll go along with the charade of the quarterback battle for as long as one. It's Drew Aller. Drew Aller is the one appearing in the commercials for NBC and stuff like that. So Drew Aller. And I think that when you look at Penn State's wide receiver room, it's a lot of guys who, uh, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith's had some good games and never consistently done it. Amari Evans had some good games. Uh, young guy. Harrison Wallace never really shown out, you know, he's had some flashes, but never anything really consistently great. Kane Saunders, big recruit, redshirted his freshman year. But you look through all these guys, the one guy who we can say definitively has done it at the college level is Dante Sebas. And of course that comes with the caveat that it wasn't exactly going up against Georgia's defense 12 weeks a year, but it's not like he was in an offense where uh, it's not like Kent state had this incredible uh, high flying game changing offense. He was really good and an environment where there was basically everyone was basically on a similar talent level in the Mac. And now he's going to be coming to the big 10. It's a step up in talent, but it's also a step up in talent around him. And if you look at the numbers that he put up last season, Matt, uh, had a bit of a step back. I know he missed a couple of games, 48 receptions, 744 yards, three touchdowns. If he was on Penn State, his 48 receptions would have been second on the team behind Mitchell Tinsley. That would have been more than Parker Washington. His 744 yards would have been the most on Penn State uh, among everybody, among wide receivers, tight ends, regardless. And in terms of touchdowns, uh, his three touchdowns behind Mitchell Tinsley, behind Brenton Strange, behind behind Keandre Lambert-Smith and Theo Johnson, tied with Tyler Warren. So 
everything that you say is obviously right. But to me, the big thing is he's just a guy that has done it in college. And that's something that Penn State does not have a wide receiver, desperately needs a wide receiver. And with the addition of Dante Cephas, now has at wide receiver. I'm glad you called out that, let's call it a drop-off in production. I think that can be pretty easily explained away with his numbers he put up in 2021. There's not many Dante Cephas's in the Mid-American Conference. No disrespect to our friends in the MAC. I love the MAC. I live in the heart of MAC well, country. Well, I'll, command- I'll say the bit... I'll say the big thing, 2021, uh, had a quarterback, uh, Dustin Crum, 381 attempts, attempts, 64% completion, 3,206 yards, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions. Uh, The next year, their quarterback, Colin Shee, 266 attempts, 59 percent completion 2109 yards 13 touchdowns they had a couple other guys that they ran out there so basically the quarterback play uh got considerably worse and again he went from playing in uh 13 uh, 12 games in uh or 14 games sorry in 2021 to nine games in 2022 so a little bit of this a little bit of that all these things come together he puts up worse numbers as a after his breakout. But still really good numbers considering a revolving door quarterback yeah. and all that attention he's demanding. So he, I, I don't want to get my hopes up too high because I think a stud, like a, a, a all-Mac caliber receiver, is probably somewhere all Big Ten honorable mention is, I think, a, a ceiling that he hopefully can hit this year. And that's going to be big for Penn State if they can add another guy who can just be productive, catch the ball, open the offense a little bit more, make Drew Aller's life a little bit easier. Yeah, it, it's it's the bite at the apple yep. thing that we've I know we've talked about in the past, but like you have a bite at the apple with Keandre Lambert Smith, with Liam Clifford, with Amari Evans, with Harrison Wallace, with Caden Saunders. Uh, you know who knows what you get out of Tyler Johnson, Malik McLean, Anthony Ivy, Malik Mega, uh, those sorts of guys. Let's just assume those first four or five guys I mentioned: Lambert Smith, Clifford, Evans, Wallace, Saunders are the guys that you bank on. A little bit there you're expecting one of those guys to be the guy that uh is again is that safety blanket for drew hour when he needs someone to be his guy who goes and makes a play maybe you hopefully you get from that group of guys but now you're adding one more dude into that and dante cephas and uh i i do think there is a big difference between having one guy who catches 90 balls for 1,800 yards and having two guys who catch 45 balls for 900 yards. I think there's a big difference in knowing you have that guy that you can just go to. And maybe they had it on the roster before Dante Cephas showed up. Maybe they don't have it after Dante Cephas showed up, whatever it is, at least Cephas is another guy. They could potentially see what they have and have him be a potential option to be that guy who again, drew Aller's eyes, go right to in the hypothetical we keep talking about third and eight at the 50 yard line against Ohio state need a touchdown that, that, that maybe Dante Cephas has the best chance as of right now out of anyone to be the guy who's getting that football thrown to him. The good news is he, at least for the first, let's call it month of the drew Aller era, Penn state is going to be a run first team. And they added 
a third running back to this rotation in Trey Potts, who I want to say was done incredibly dirty by the Penn State Department in that he was listed at 5'11", on Minnesota's roster, and he's now listed at 5'9 on the Penn State roster. And as a guy... No, 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 that's 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 not doing him dirty. That's just revealing what we all know about P.J. Fleck, that he's a clown fraud and someone who can't be trusted. Listen, as a guy who... I, I, I honestly don't know. I claim to be six foot. I think I'm closer to 5'11". I, I feel disrespected by this to, to Trey Potts. Uh, but a, a Williamsport PA native coming home after a really productive and and frankly, injury laden couple years in Minnesota. And for him to go out there and be a name that you and I knew before he joined the roster bill just shows a lot of perseverance on his part. He's a guy who I think came into this room understanding his role. And now all of a sudden there's a three headed monster for Penn state at running back. And I feel good about any of them getting 15 carries a game, but we talk enough about single team. We talk enough about Allen. What do you think of Trey Potts and what do you think realistically is his role in this offense in 2023? You know, I think that first, first things first, and this is something that I think all of us don't do a good enough job because we think too much in terms of football, but just from like the perspective of this kid who grew up, you know, 45 50 minutes away, someone who I believe he said he uh, he grew up a Penn State fan. I know remember reading something uh, about how when he came for the whiteout this past year, he had a ton of family you showed up. So it's someone who really loves, really appreciates Penn State. And you are overjoyed for someone like that. You're overjoyed that like his family can now hop in the car on Saturday morning get out to Happy Valley, watch the game, and go home instead of having to fly to Minnesota back and forth and back and forth. So that stuff is just like storybook. That rocks. And then you get what he is as a football player and how uh, in his time at Minnesota, like you mentioned, he uh, he was the guy who stepped in after Muhammad Ibrahim uh, tore his Achilles in 2021, had a couple of really good games as the guy for Minnesota. And I think that's important because Minnesota is a program that their running backs are consistently very, very good. And when they needed someone to be the guy after their all-American caliber backs back went down, they went to Trey Potts. And Trey Potts did a really good job for them, not against killer competition, but he still put up numbers in an offense where you ask a lot of your running back. And good running back play is important. 2021 has plays a few games, ends up getting hurt. Uh impacting his uh, rest of his season, but he comes back in 2022, 101 carries, 471 yards, three touchdowns, gets some time here or there everywhere. The fact that Penn State is getting a guy like that and the fact that Penn State is getting a guy like that to step in and be their third run, be their third, you know, maybe he's, again, maybe he impresses and is able to take some snaps away here and there, but your third running back, the steady hand, the guy that you go to, uh, Think of the Northwestern game where uh, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen had fumble issues and then Kayvon Wee had a really important role. Just having that guy, having that kind of a change of pace and having a guy where if your first two guys are a little bit tired, a little bit knocked up or whatever it is, banged up, sorry, uh, you can then go to him and he can go and be a really productive running back. It's like that is the dream for a school like Penn State to have a guy like that as your 
third option. And he's going to step in and do an incredible job from the jump. Like I, I would be more willing to bet on him impressing in his, when he plays over Seafish, just because like we've seen him, this guy do it at the big 10 level before. I think Potts's value is going to come in October and in November. Like I, I think this is very different than John Lovett. In That's that fair. It never felt like Lovett came in and, had a role that he fully understood or that the staff fully understood what it was going to be. I think Potts is different in that he's coming into this room behind all of these inexper or all of this experience, all of these guys who are going to go on to be day one, day two picks in the NFL and Singleton and Allen. And I think the staff learned a lot of lessons from John Lovett that they can now retroactively apply to Trey Potts. And realistically i think those seven carries a game and maybe two catches a game is about what we can expect so nine touches a game feels feels pretty good like again this team can be built to run through its backs and until the former five-star quarterback is ready to really take control and all Potts does is give you another very good player but he's also just really great added insurance like do you think that nine touches a game benchmark is is pretty realistic so here's what I'll say. I think that in years past, it was a lot easier for James Franklin because there wasn't elite talent in the running back room to just say, you know, we go on the rotation, we see what the rotation gives us in a given game and we ride the hot hand. Like I, I, I think when the running back room wasn't, didn't have two blue chip established guys like Singleton and Allen was a little bit easier to do that. And then it would be a little bit easier to say, uh, you know, X amount of carries, X amount of receptions, whatever. The thing is now Penn State doesn't necessarily need that. So there could be a game where those two guys just don't have it. And then he runs the ball 15 times, catches it five times, is in there on third downs and pass pro, whatever. And then there can be games where he's, you know, not playing as much because, God forbid you take Singleton off with how he's playing. God forbid you take Allen off with how he's playing. So I don't know if I want to put a number on it, but what I will say is that in the moments where you need him, they have a really, really good option, the kind of option that they just did not have before he committed uh, in the event of an injury, in the event someone's tired, in the event not having a great game, whatever that might end up being. Sorry for the long pause. I'm thinking about how I want to frame our next player. I think. Well, hold, hold on. Let's re, real, real quick. There's one other thing with pots that I want to um, highlight. Hit me. And I think this, this shows how, uh, how impressive it is that Penn state was able to get a guy like him. Uh, hit last season as a member of the Minnesota golden Gophers, 112 rushes, 522 yards, six scores last season. That would have been all of those would have been third on Penn State's team. Uh, Sean Clifford was third in carries with 69 yards with 176 and touchdowns with five. 2019, that all of those would have been third, or that would have been third on Penn State in uh, carries because Journey Brown had 129, Sean Clifford had 116, Noah Kane had 84. Second in yards. Journey Brown had 890, Noah Kane had 443, so it was 522 would have fit in there. And then third uh, in touchdowns behind Brown and Kane. In 2021, the obviously a year that was terrible for Penn State's running backs, 
112 carries, 552 yards, and six touchdowns would have been first in everything in Penn State's running back room. That would have been the most productive running back on Penn State's roster. Uh, Kayvon Lee led in attempts with 108 in yards, 530. Noah Kane led in touchdowns with four. Penn State just got a guy who would have been its best running back two years ago to now be its third running back. And I think, again, that just has to be noted, the amount of talent that Penn State now has in its running back room. It is something we would have dreamed about two years ago, and now it's a reality. It's pretty insane that this time last year, Penn State had five scholarship running backs uh, on its roster, um, all of whom still have collegiate eligibility to this day. And the two true freshmen from last year are the only ones still here. And there's still five scholarship running backs on the roster. Yeah. Like Jaywan Sider has found a way to keep this room well plenished uh, and, and well stocked. So just whatever Sider wants, you give it to him, whatever money he wants, blank check, etc. Yeah. Alonzo Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Defensive tackle from old dominion familiarity here with coming from Ricky Ronnie, the longtime Penn state assistant as the head man for the Monarchs. Bill, what do you, I have no idea what to expect. I think I know what Alonzo Ford's role could be, but I have no idea how likely it is. And I think his role could be DT number four. He's 6'2", 280. He's been in a collegiate weight training program for three years. He was a true freshman in 2020, but ODU did not play, but I believe they still trained. So he still got to build his body up that entire year. So he's a good 280. It's not like he's a freshman coming in or a Juco guy coming in. I see a path to him playing 15 snaps a game right off the bat. I feel like you disagree. Uh, Well, for one, he was the number 545 overall player in 24-7's transfer portal rankings. And I, I don't. Well, I don't have much of a frame of reference. Uh, there were 10 billion players in the portal this year. So I guess supposedly, I, I guess from that perspective, it was a pretty good thing. But yeah, I, I'm. he's taking a really big step up in competition. What I will say is he put up nice numbers at Old Dominion uh, across two seasons, 73 tackles, uh, 8.5 tackles for loss, four sacks, one fumble recovery, one forced fumble. That's nice, and it's he is coming into a position where Penn State has a ton of question marks. Uh, Zane Durant, Hakeem Beeman, Devon Ellis, Keziah Izzard, all guys who have played a bit for Penn State. And then you have you know your Jordan Vandenbergs, your Caleb Artises, uh, the guys who have been in the program for a bit, Devon Townley Jr., uh, who've been in the program for a bit but haven't really gotten uh, extended run or flashed big, you know, flash really big potential when they've been uh, out there for extended periods, whatever it might be. So he's stepping into a position where there are opportunities for snaps. I think the fact that James Franklin took someone from Ricky Ronnie's program, uh, I don't think Franklin is taking someone unless Ronnie said to him, hey, I think he could be a guy who plays at that level. But having said that, you know, I'm going to preach a little bit of patience, a little bit of um, a little bit of patience, a little bit of caution with a guy who, again, taking a really big step up in competition. It's not like he's stepping in and has a physical profile 
that Penn State doesn't have a defensive tackle. It's 6'2", 280. You know, we've talked about this plenty. Uh, Kazai Izzard, 6'3", 291. Devon Ellis, 6'1", 302. K- um, Hakeem Beeman, 6'3", 256, so a bit bigger than him. But Zane Durant, 6'1", 275. A lot of physical profile similar to him. So it's not like he's immediately going to be a guy who could step in and go, we don't have anyone who is 6'5", 330, and could just eat up space. Real quick, Phil. So I'll say, go ahead. Are you familiar with a man named Desmond Watson? Uh, no, I'm not. There is. I'm. <laughs> you are calling this out that there's not a profile uh, that, that Penn State, he doesn't have a profile that Penn State uh, doesn't have on the roster. Desmond Watson's a defensive tackle for the U- University of Florida Gators. His listed height is six foot five. Do you know what his listed weight is? My um, guess is either 385 or 250. 449 pounds. Big boy. Penn State okay. is not adding well, that in Lonzo Ford. Uh, give me a second. I need. I now need to know everything about Desmond. He wears number 21, Watson. which is sick, I will say, as a, as a, big, as a big boy. Oh, 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 I've seen this yeah. guy. I've seen this guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. But you, you know what I mean. Or you know what I'm saying. Where Penn State doesn't have the... You know, it's not like he's coming in. He's so vastly different from what Penn State already has. But like I've said on pods in the past, Penn State's defensive tackle room is a room where no, it it hasn't really had game changers. It hasn't really had guys who, uh, you know, we talked about the Ohio State scenario earlier, the Michigan scenario now where Michigan is driving down the field and trying to kill clock and trying to run the football. Uh, He fits into the physical profile that Penn state already has. And now it's a matter of, can he do something that Penn state doesn't have among the guys who are already on the roster? And that's where a bit of my, um, again, skepticism, wanting to preach patience, whatever you want to say is going to come in with a guy like him. So the last two guys here, and we don't have to touch them too much. I think their roles are going to be pretty limited. Odavian Collins, a transfer from Mississippi State, kind of did a trade there with Kayvon Lee, uh, who real quick, shout out to Kayvon. I hope he has a lot of success uh, down there in Starkville. I I give that guy a lot of credit. He put up with a lot of crap. He came in at a tough time, lost an entire year to COVID, um, and ended up making the biggest play, I think, of Penn State season last year with that catch against Purdue. So uh, go dogs, Klinga, uh, even though I'm still mad at you for firing Joe Moorhead. Uh, Okay, anyway. Collins, I think he's a guy, redshirt secured, redshirted last year, special teams guy, depth guy, uh, uh, 2024, probably more realistically for when we could hear his name on the defense. And then Addison Penn, who was originally recruited by Phil Troutwine at BC, a Duke transfer, uh, from my understanding is a walk-on. Bill, just a good depth piece there, another body along that offensive line that is quickly replenished, uh, and maybe a guy who gets in a couple blowouts at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, Penn State's offensive line doesn't, didn't necessarily need, uh, another due, but 6'2, 310 projects as, uh, I'd say projects as an interior guy all the way. For sure. And, you know, you'll, you'll always take more bodies on the offensive line. If there's one thing that being a Penn State fan has taught us over the years is that things can go sideways in the offensive line really quickly, even if he's not, uh, go, you know, maybe he's not going to be able to step in. Maybe he, it's not his level, uh, the Big Ten. Or maybe it is. Who knows? Yeah. The fact that he's even here is just something really important for Penn State because you're constantly uh, one you're, – you're constantly one, oh, no, someone rolled up on uh, Hunter Norzad. Someone rolled up on uh, Vega Ioane. Someone rolled up on, you know, insert offensive lineman here away from the numbers suddenly looking a lot worse. And, 
you know, anytime you can remedy that, it's good. He's great depth at center. I mean, Norzad was banged up all of last year. Dawkins has been injured for a lot of his career. It's just a good insurance policy again. So excited that he's here. Best of luck to him. Glad he gets to go on and play for Phil Troutwine, uh, who again recruited him originally out of high school. Bill, let's move on to the true freshman and three players on offense came to campus Two running backs, London Montgomery and Cam Wallace. And Bill, we'll kind of pair them together. I don't think either of them are going to see the field, at least not enough to no. burn a red shirt. Montgomery's coming off the knee injury. Uh, and Cam Wallace is a, a three-star from Georgia who is just going to take a little bit of time. And with those guys ahead of him, uh, I don't really think there's any reason to rush them on the field. Any any big thoughts for what they can do in 2023? If, if they didn't play a snap... I, and this is not a slight against them. If they didn't play a snap, I don't think I'd have a huge problem with it. I think you you hold their hands, you walk, take them along slowly, and then you basically make clear that uh, your your first real chance at getting any sort of extended run is going to come in 2024. Yeah. Andrew Rappelier, I think, could play right away. What do you think? Uh, with... With how Penn State has uh, kind of used its tight ends as mat- guys who change things up matchup-wise, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but at the same time, you he might just be a victim of the numbers that Penn State has in that room right now. Uh, I think Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren are going to play a ton. I don't think that's a particularly controversial thing. And then you look at the other dudes, Khalil Dinkins, guy who's been on campus for – a year plus uh, Joey Schlafer, a guy who got a bit of a head start enrolling early Jerry cross guy who's been on campus for a year plus Rappelier seems like he's going to be a really, really good player for Penn state. If he, if he can force his way into snaps, that is a really good thing for Penn state. Uh, but if he doesn't and they decide, Hey, we're going to uh, bring him along a little bit more slowly because we know what we have in that position. I think that's perfectly fine too. I think you can play Rappelier right away because it's a very crowded tight end room. And I think we have to be realistic about what this room could look like next year. Theo Johnson's going to go pro. I feel good about that. I don't think he's going to take his COVID year. I think Tyler Warren could come back. And then I think there's a lot of younger guys who could see where they fall and decide to transfer. So I think Rappelier's a guy who could play like similar to Amari Evans' role last year where he just keeps on getting run. Sure even if it's not the biggest impact, just to get him ready for what I think is going to be a pretty sizable role in 2024, I think is, is the path is the path. I'm going to put him at a green light here. Yeah. But let's actually, let's do it for the, let's do it for the uh, true freshman Montgomery and sure. Wallace. I think are both red lights. Fair to say. Yeah. Rappelier. Yeah. And I'll, 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 I'll say he's, I'll, I'll put him in that yellow green category where they don't, I don't think they're going to need to play him. Mm-hmm. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly think if you uh, if, if he does end up playing, it's not going to be like, oh no, I can't believe he, Andrew Andrew Rappelier got on the field. No, I'm sure that would probably be a good thing for Penn State. I'm gonna I'm gonna put Rappelier as, as a pure green. I'm gonna I'm gonna call that. I'm gonna sure. call my shot there. Going over to the defensive side of the ball, two defensive linemen coming to campus. I have them both as red: Ty Blanding and Joseph Mapoye. Where do you stand on these two? Just developmental guys. Give them a couple years in the program, and you know we'll we'll see you in twenty twenty five. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Blanding's coming in as a six one two hundred and sixty five pound defensive tackle. Just uh, get him get him on some sort of uh, 
consume a lot of calories plan uh, and see what ends up happening with him. Uh, Mapoyi is a guy who, uh, you know, long, athletic, talented defensive tackle. I know he uh, uh, is interesting. He, his scouting report on 24 seven has him at 210 pounds. Uh, Penn state's roster has him at 240. So he's already bulked up a bit, six, five, 240, really good frame. He's one of those guys who I don't think plays a ton because who are you taking off the field mm-hmm. between Adisa Isaac, Denai Dennis Sutton, Zariah Fisher, Chop Robinson, and then uh, whatever you get from Amin Vanover and Smith Vilbert to get him on the field. Uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing. No. I, I think, yeah, with so many freshmen, it could be like uh, being caught up in like the bright, flashy, new, uh, talented new player. But sometimes like the fact that they're not able to get onto the field is a good thing because that means you have three, four guys who potentially be all big 10 caliber players in that position, potentially all American caliber players. So I'll give him, I'll give him a red light and say that is just because, uh, I'll say red, yellow, because, you know, maybe he gets in some garbage time snaps, uh, against, Rutgers or whatever uh but if he doesn't play it's because Penn State has much better players at the position which oh no we have to watch deny Dennis Sutton play football how terrible right I want to put KV on keys in yellow but I can't for the simple reason of he is the ninth scholarship linebacker to join the roster and I feel confident seven of them are guaranteed playing time Curtis Jacobs, Abdul Carter, Kobe King, Tyler Ellison, Dom DeLuca, Keon Wiley, Tony Rojas, I think are all going to play at least some level of meaningful snaps. I think Keyes is a guy who could make an impact. They don't need him to. So I'm going to shift him. Again, no disrespect to him. This isn't a knock on his talent. This is simply where is the playing time for a guy like KB on Key? So he's going to go red for me. Yeah, and I think he he really needs to bulk up at 195 pounds. He is the slightest linebacker on Penn State's roster, and that even includes walk-on guys like Jackson Pritz, Ben Chismar, uh, who all have pretty decent size on him at 195 pounds. Uh, the second lightest linebacker that Penn State has is Dom DeLuca. Uh, Dom DeLuca is 6'1", 209. Kavion Key is 6'2", 195. So just get him in the weight room. Let him bulk up a little bit, have him put on 25 pounds and see what happens from there. I mean, you watch his tape and he was a really fun, interesting, dynamic player. It's just, there's a difference between a fun, dynamic player uh, in high school in Virginia and being a fun, dynamic player for Penn state. And so often it involves bulking up a little bit before you have the opportunity to, uh, to do that. Talk to me about King Mac. What do you think about this guy? The safety coming up from St. Thomas Aquinas, a powerhouse high school program down in Florida. Well, I mean, let's let's throw uh, throw Dakari Nelson in there as well because Penn State got because Nelson also enrolled this week, correct? He did, but I'm saving him for last because I think he's a bit of a different situation than King Mac is. Well, I I think they're different situations. Uh, in that Nelson seems like he's just this Adonis who can maybe move to linebacker. And I, he Mac, looks like Cam Chancellor, I mean, Dakari Nelson, like the build. Yeah, and that's all right, we can we can lump him together. Why not? King Mac, I think, is your traditional safety. I think he's built like Jair Brown, built like um, oh my god, 
is it Malik Golden? Like someone like that, like a hard hitter who can go out there and who can cover, who can play in the box if he needs to. Dakari Nelson, we haven't seen a player like this join the Penn State roster maybe ever. And I'm going to put Mac as a yellow light and Nelson's Nelson's full full green for me. I, I wouldn't be surprised if either, if both of them played truly, because the thing with Mac is that, and this is something that popped off while I was watching his film. He has it between the ears. He has the instincts, the smarts, all those sorts of things that you don't expect out of a high school football player. Like I think he's going to step into Penn State's safety room and it wouldn't surprise me if he just takes into, takes things in like a sponge. Um, you know, he, again, another guy who's going to run into the problem of Jalen Reed, Keaton Ellis, Zaki Wheatley, KJ Winston, talented guys who maybe he's not able to get on the field because, um, you know, Penn State wants to give those guys runs. And that's even before you get to a Makai Flowers, a Tyrese Mills, those kinds of guys. But he seems like the kind of guy who just has it, has, has everything you want and you can afford to put back there. Again, uh, Frame is a problem, quote unquote problem. 5'10, 175 pounds. Uh, you look through Penn State, those guys I just read Keaton Ellis, 5'11, 191. Jalen Reed, 6'2, 208. Zaki Wheatley, 6'2, 194. Uh, KJ Winston, 6'2, 204. Not an especially big guy. Maybe they decide again, just bulk up, use this year to get a little bit stronger, a little bit more physical, whatever. But whenever he steps onto the field, I see a guy who has the potential to be a difference maker in the back end of Penn State's defense, whether that is, you know, he gets a little bit of run this year, whether that is he starts getting run in 2024, whether that is he's a starter in 2024, just whatever it ends up being. So I'm glad that you rattled off like the heights of the guys like Ellis, the guys like Jalen Reed, that is King Mac. Like, I'm glad that that feels like a player that, has found success at Penn State at that build. Uh, and, and I don't, I, I feel like I just want to keep on talking about Dakari Nelson because I think you can do so many unique things with him. Like, I I think it was Frank Winter, maybe Manny Diaz said in a press conference, maybe this spring, that the Prowler isn't a position, it's a package. The Prowler package isn't going anywhere. I'm curious if there's something like that for Dakari Nelson where all of a sudden there's a six foot three guy who loves to pick off footballs standing back there in the secondary and quarterbacks have no idea how to handle that length when you pair him with Zaki Wheatley back there. Like there's just so many things he allows you to do. And I, I'm just fascinated to see Manny Diaz has really built this and Anthony Poindexter, especially have really built this room and this defense into maybe the deepest I've, I've ever seen it because I, I really do think there's now six safeties on the roster who can go out there and play a ton. Yeah, Nelson is uh, Nelson's a guy with the kind of physical profile that you really can't teach to be as big and solid and fluid at his size. He's listed on Penn State's roster at 6'3", 200. Uh, it, it's special. Like that's that's a really rare thing for a football player. And then you just look at him, and it's like, man, this this guy just looks like a specimen. And for Penn State, you know, maybe he ends up playing from the rip. I don't know. Maybe they decide they want to get him a little bit more physical. I don't know. Whatever they end up doing with him, even if he is just this impressive ball of clay, 
I'm willing to bet on it. I'm willing to bet on him being a really good safety, a really good, uh, you know, maybe they decide to move him down to linebacker. I don't know. Whatever they end up doing with him, he's going to be good at it because when you watch him play football, you're like, guys with those physical traits should not move as easily as he can. And it's not like he's someone who, uh, not like someone who uh, just kind of gets away with being that kind of an athlete with that size. He's a guy who legitimately seems like he's going to be a really special football player whenever that time comes to Penn State. I, I think it'll be, I think we'll see the flashes in year one, but I think we'll really see him unleashed in year two and year three. And that, that'll be, I'm really glad that we're seeing this new, you know, Sunbelt pipeline. They're getting guys from Georgia, you know, Nelson's yeah. from Selma, hey. Alabama. Like they're leading, I forget the, the five stars name from Mississippi that has interest in Penn State. Like that's such a new region and that's where all the talent is now. So I'm really happy that Nelson could potentially be a really great player for them from one of those new football hotbeds. Yeah, you got the elite programs are the ones who are not afraid to go into another elite program's backyard and pluck a guy away from them. Mm-hmm. You know, think of how big of a freak out we had when Julian Fleming went to Ohio State. And he's done like, great since. Yeah, say what you Yeah, I mean, say what you want about Julian Fleming's Ohio State career, uh, injuries, whatever. Like the fact that Ohio State how many people care about Julian Fleming's Ohio State career? compared to how many people care about the fact that Ohio State went into Catawissa, Pennsylvania and pulled away a kid who had who was a stone's throw away from Penn State. You think about that stuff, and then you think about King Mac, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, went down there and got him. Dakari Nelson, Selma, Alabama, and got him. Elliott Washington, Venice, Florida, went down there and got him. And you just go through this list of kids – over the years that Penn state's been able to pull away from the natural recruiting footprint of powerhouses of sec schools, even on like down on their luck sec schools that just own a specific area. These are big battles. And the fact that Penn state won them, they're good for this class and they're potentially things that are good for future classes because now they have, now they have roots in places that are really, really hard to plant roots because there's like so much of the ground is taken up by Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, Miami, whomever else. Bill, as you know, I moved this past weekend. I did. I, I, I loaded up a U-Haul van and I drove it maybe about a mile from my old apartment in Chicago to my new apartment in Chicago. And as I was packing up my clothes, I was just thinking to myself, some of these, some of these are cooler than the others. And do you know what brand the cooler ones were? Uh, no. Can you tell me and make sure you make a big deal out of it? Because they Bill, they were money. home field apparel. Have you ever heard of home field apparel? It's this great collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. They have a 15 piece Penn state collection and a new Penn state dad hat. Uh, I wish I, I, I am actually looking at getting it, but I got to make sure it fits my head. I have a very big head. One time I went skiing and the guy had to get a special helmet from the back to fit my head. But Homefield Apparel's t-shirts and sweatshirts fit me phenomenally. I have more than a few things from their Penn State collection, Bill. I know you do as well. I do. I, I thought I was wearing Homefield Apparel shirt right now. I'm well, the not. good news is Let's we're not talking. back on YouTube yet because Nick's still not back yet. Uh, so, Nick, when, when Nick comes back in June, we'll return to YouTube and we can edit that out moving forward. Uh, but Homefield Apparel... No, I, listen. We don't no, we don't. Do that. 
Homefield Apparel, though, is our podcast sponsor. They have been great partners to us for nearly a year. Our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code ROAR, Lions, ROAR, all one word, all caps at checkout. I have, again, not just the Penn State stuff. I have Louisville. I have UConn. I have Tulane. All kinds of different schools. They're doing refreshes left and right, and I cannot wait for a new batch of Penn State gear to hopefully drop soon. So thank you, as always, to Homefield for sponsoring us. And Bill, the schedule came out. Not not the schedule, but the, the themes of the games of the schedule came out this past week. Yeah. A lot of, you know, same old, same old stuff. Starting things off, West Virginia in a stripe out, which basically feels like white. white. No, 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 oh, no. Oh, no, you're right. Sorry. The helmet stripe game. Sorry. Which is white out light yes. is the best way to put that. Yes, we we wanted to make this game. We could have made this game the white out, but we decided to do something else. What, do you know when the first helmet stripe game was? 2021. Against? Oh. Um... Who did they play in twenty? Who was the non-con in twenty twenty one? Twenty twenty, they went at Wisconsin. It wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a non-con. No, because Auburn would have been the whiteout. You're right. Um, I know it wasn't Illinois. Illinois was homecoming twenty twenty one. Was it Illinois homecoming twenty twenty one? It was Michigan. Oh, fun! Oh, that game makes me sad. So this is a so so this is a really bad game. <laughs> it, it is actually funny because it's very obvious that this like. This was the runner up to be For the sure. whiteout, but they decided to not do this one as the white. In part because like Penn State should, you know, take West Virginia for a leisurely walk for an hour. But that's neither here nor there. I am excited that Iowa is the whiteout. I want this Iowa game maybe more than I've wanted a game not named Michigan or Ohio State, maybe in my fan. Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, Penn State fans don't like Ohio State. Penn State fans don't like Michigan. No, and I, like I'm not going to say that Penn State fans respect either of those teams, but I think there is an acknowledgement that Ohio State, Michigan are part of college football's elite. That not that there's like an honor to losing to them, but there's an understanding that like these are two of the best programs in the sport. They're measuring sticks for Penn State in addition to like games that if they win them, it's a big thing for Penn State. Like the, the there's that. I think Penn State fans generally, in terms of just pure loathing and hatred and disgust, hate Iowa more than any other school. I think wrestling's kind of carried over into football in that regard. Re- wrestling has certainly had an impact here with how uh, just things go with Penn State and Iowa wrestling, how every Penn State-Iowa football game seems to go. And I, I, I think if you ask Penn State fans to look at the schedule and say, you know, with the understanding that Michigan's not going to be a night game for one reason or another, whatever, uh, because late season sort of thing aren't going to put that as a night, a night game. Or I think that that might be changing soon right no Nick? you can do it matt you can you can do it in november moving forward but i think like i i don't okay. think beaver stadium is built for it yet i'll be honest i think yeah. they need the renovations so, to happen first yeah so so we'll just we'll just assume that 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 one's off the table and you look through the rest of these and you didn't tell penn state fans wvu is going to be a night game if you t- didn't tell penn state fans wvu is going to be the night game and you said look at the entire schedule what are you picking as the whiteout 
I think Penn State fans would generally pick Iowa oh, yeah. and say, I want to ground them to dust. I want this game to be over by the time the first quarter ends. Yes. Because that's just how badly I want Penn State to annihilate Iowa. So giving them the whiteout, giving them the full big game treatment, and then going out there, you know, then there's the subplot of this game of Iowa's starting quarterback and new star tight end are two guys that combined to rip Penn State's hearts out in 2021. Let's go out there and just run Iowa off the goddamn football field. It'd be fun. It would be cool if that happened. It'd be cool if that was uh if that's the game, like Penn State shuts them out, and that's the reason Brian Ferentz doesn't get to his point threshold and needs to keep his job, that's going to be such a fun storyline all season. I cannot wait for that. Uh, but, but anything mm-hmm. else on the schedule that really you know piques your interest? The uh, the cool generations of greatness uniforms come back for UMass, um, and then Michigan State on Black Friday? Question? Yeah, mark? that's that's what I was that was uh, I was going to say. Like they announced that, or I love that. Reported People don't that like it. I love that. Right? Yeah. It's it's been public. I think we can confidently say that it's not behind a paywall. Yeah, I, 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 I don't feel strongly one way on it. Or I, I mean, like th- this year's game is in in East Lansing. East Lansing, correct? Okay. I mean, I also I could you like, imagine how I funny always, it would be? Real quick, Bill, if Penn State's undefeated, they beat Michigan State, they have the twelve and zero season, and Fox has to do their big noon song and dance around a Michigan Ohio State game that's essentially for second place in the East. I'm manifesting yeah. that. I'm just getting out there, getting that out there in the zeitgeist. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, the the funny thing about Friday kit, Friday games, and I realized this during Purdue is that, um, as long as Penn State wins, I'm going to be happy because then I have like the high of a Penn State win through an entire weekend, and I get to spend Saturday not worrying about a Penn State game. Um, the important thing here, and I'm going to swear for a half second. Um, they're moving it to Friday and Penn state is playing a game that is just dog, a team that is just dog shit. Michigan state is God awful. Bill, no, I just bought a new NF tuck. You're going to tank its value. Jesus Christ. I, I cannot, like, it's going to be very funny what ends up happening if that team wins five or six games this year, which is very possible because they're not especially good. Yeah. I, what they're, uh, Give me, give me a sec. Big Ten football over. I think they're five and a half. They're four and a half or five and a half. Let me look. Which is absolutely Um, embarrassing. Mel Tucker, the Mel Tucker contract is what losers on Twitter thought the Franklin contract was. Okay, so they're four and a half, but over four and a half is minus one eighty. It's the, it's it's the. uh, I'm taking the under. They play Washington in the non-con. I'm taking the under. Yeah, yeah. I they. It's actually very funny. Uh, they're at four and a half, and yet there are two Big Ten East teams below them, uh, or with them or below them in terms of uh, over under. Indiana so, and Rutgers. Indiana and Rutgers. Yeah. And then Northwestern's at three and a half. So that Penn State, you know, it's Michigan State. God knows what ends up happening. Maybe uh, Mel Tucker is loaned the weather machine that late in November. Who knows? But it's possible that that game is moved to Black Friday. It's a weird game. And then Penn State goes out there and wins 42 to three. Like, that would not shock me at all. I would prefer that, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I also like, tend to like when Penn State win games more than when Penn State doesn't win games. So, All right, Bill. Before we get out of here, I, I have heard you have, you have a game for us to play. Is this true? I do. Uh, so 
with the addition of Dante Cephas mm-hmm. uh, to Penn State, the guy who put up really big numbers at uh, at his previous school, uh, what I thought would be interesting was now Penn State's top returning receiver in terms of receptions this season is Keandre Lambert Smith with 24 behind him is Theo Johnson with 20 then Katron Allen but we're not we're just keeping this to wide receivers uh and Harrison Wallace with 19 so 24 and 20 were Penn State's top two receivers uh returning receivers last year what I have listed here are the top six guys it it would be top five but I'll explain why in a second top six guys in receptions in a single season for Penn State and what I want you to do, Matt, is I want you to put in order from most to least how many receptions they had in the year before they broke out. So first up, uh, Allen Robinson, 97 receptions in 2013 is Penn State's single season record. Uh, I'm We're going to go for his, sec- or his second year because the second season uh, – or second highest reception season was 77. That was the year that he broke out in 2012. Correct. So Allen Robinson with 77 receptions. Jahan Dotson, 91 receptions, was in second place for Penn State. Deshaun Hamilton, third place, 82 receptions. Chris Godwin, uh, fifth place, 69 receptions. Parker Washington, sixth place, 64 receptions. What I want you to do is put these guys in order, again, most to least, it's for the number of receptions they had before their big breakout or before their big uh, year in the Penn State record books. So Allen Robinson in 2011, uh, just going in the order that I've been listed. Yeah, hold on. Wait, wait, Mark. Do you want to jot some? A-Rob 11. Okay. A-Rob in 2011, Jahan Dotson in 2020, Deshaun Hamilton in 2013, Chris Godwin in 2014, Parker Washington in 2020. So the five guys, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So the most, okay. The most I'm going to say Godwin in 14 or Godwin in 15. Godwin in 15 was the year that got him into Penn state's top five in receptions. Really? So what did he have? 15 team was trash. Okay. All right. I think last is going to be Hamilton in 2013. That's going to be last Hamilton's last because he had a broken hand. Yes. He redshirted. Okay. Last is Hamilton. Sec, I'm gonna go. Sorry, I'm going from the bottom up. Um, okay, that's fine. A Rob, that's right. Allen Robinson. Okay, A Rob didn't play in eleven. Three. God, this is really no. He did. He had three receptions in twenty. Barely played. Yeah. Sorry. Um, God, I'm proving what a sicko I am that I can rattle these off. All right, Hamilton's in last. Then comes A Rob. I'm gun. Dotson didn't play a lot that first year because he played his way later in the year, but Parker had the shortened season with COVID. But he was a quick because Fryermuth went out early. I'm gonna say Dotson's third last. So third. Nope. Was it Washington? Nope. Really? It's Godwin. In 2014, Chris Godwin caught 26. Oh, because Hamilton was big in 14. Shit. Yeah, Hamilton had like 17 well, that was, catches that was against part Ohio of it. State alone. Shit. That was part of it, and Godwin was also a freshman. Right. But that year, Deshaun Hamilton, 82 receptions. Yep. That was the year that made this list. And then Geno Lewis had 55, Jesse James Gino, had 38, Chris Godwin had Okay, and then I'm going to go with Parker's in second. No, Jahan's in second. Nope. Parker's in second. Damn. 
Parker Washington in 2020 uh, had, this is actually very funny uh, because Parker Washington's year where he caught 64 balls was in 2021, which was also the year that Jahan Dotson caught 91 balls. So this is the year before for both of them. Wow. Okay. And then Dotson would have been the most. Wow. Interesting. That's right. So I I just think this is a really good way of uh, highlighting the fact that it's not necessarily going to be a guy who has done it and been established at Penn State who is then going to step in and immediately be Penn State's number one receiver. It could be a guy like Deshaun Hamilton or Allen Robinson or didn't do much of anything uh, that first year that they were here. I think if I'm picking a guy to do that, that would probably be an Amari Evans type just because I, I, I believe he's Drew Allard's roommate. We know the two of them are close. Mm-hmm. Um Jahan Dotson actually is the guy who had the most experience. The year that you're thinking of, that was the 2019 season where he came on late in the year and actually finished third on Penn State in receptions. 2020 was uh, his first year as Penn State's uh, first year leading Hamlet, pass catcher. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, and then Park Washington was right behind him. But then you have a guy like Chris Godwin who his – um. You know, that year with Deshaun, uh, he just kind of eased into it before having a really big breakout season in 2015 and then obviously 2016 being part of that great offense. Uh, And then Parker Washington, you know, 2020 was just kind of a disaster for everybody, but he was one of the few bright spots among uh, among the young players on that team. I'm glad we did this activity. This puts me at ease a little bit, I think, in terms of what to expect. This was that was a good exercise, Bill. Good idea. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I have my moments. All right, Bill, let, let's get out of here. I, I got nothing else to talk about. We're heading into really the, the doldrums of the offseason now. No yeah. one else is going to get to campus for about a month. You know, it, it's going to be magazine season, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But other than that, it'll be pretty quiet. But we'll still be here talking about it. Bill, any final thoughts as we send everybody off into the rest of their week? Um, No, not much. Just want to give a, a quick shout out to uh for back when i don't know if everyone knows this we used to be a website uh former roar lions roar staffer uh dan Vasellio is getting married in state college this weekend i want to give a quick shout out to uh dan and his wife victoria both of them are wonderful in large in small part not in large part in small part because they're giving me a reason to go to state college this weekend so nice congratulations to dan and victoria para Dan's a, a, a great Nittany Lion. Victoria is uh, sooner. So, uh, you know, hopefully they meet up in a playoff game or something. Two campuses I have been to and enjoy immensely. Very nice. Bill, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Be sure to use promo code ROARLIONSROAR at checkout. That's all one word, all caps, at homefieldapparel.com for 15% off your first order. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. I'm going to do a plug here. We are two reviews away from 100 on Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't given us a five-star review yet or any review, preferably five-star, please, uh, go on out there and do that Apple podcast. So we can get into triple digits. We'd really appreciate it. And for my co-host, Bill DeFilippo, I'm Matt Flipovitz. Go State.